The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, we're back with the Wednesday edition of Brutal Nation. I am your illustrious host, Zorro. That is me. No, I'm just kidding. My name is Scott. I'm a Leo. I like long walks on the beach. And uh, granny porn. I like granny porn a lot. Granny. Right across from me is the one, the only Jacob Matthew Alexander. Say hi, Jake. Why, hello there. I believe one of your fears is granny midget porn. No kidding. You remember that story, right? Because, you know, I, I let's I, recap for the audience. I like watching weird stuff because porn doesn't even get me off or anything like that. I just I just try to find the weirdest stuff imaginable. And it's you know, like it's like just trying to find something that's awe inspiring. It's like trying to find that train wreck. That's what it is. So <laughs> midget porn. It's funny. You know, OK, cool. Granny porn. Awesome. Then I found granny midgets and you don't want to watch. That's terrifying. They're like little goblins. And it's scary. It actually it scared me. I had nightmares for like a month. It's terrible. <laughs> All right, boys and girls. Today, we got the Lover's Lane Murders. Ta-da! That's right. Today's going to be a whodunit Wednesday. And we're going to be visiting some unsolved murders which have occurred along Lover's Lane. So for all you lovers out there tonight, turn on a little bit of soft music, cuddle up with your boyfriend and girlfriend while you're out in the middle of nowhere doing a little making out. Let's talk about your demise. So it seems like... Huh? I mean, if you're into it, sure. You need Jesus. That's Dini's boyfriend. His name is Jesus. <laughs> so it seems like every town in America has its favorite secluded spot re- referred to as Lover's Lane, where couples can go for a little bit of privacy. You know, a little cuddling, little poking tickle. So, uh, it's definitely poking, all right. You're fired from talking forever. <laughs> More times than not participating in some level of sexual intercourse. I've been there. Have you? His name is Brad. <laughs> <laughs> he was a priest. I was an altar boy. Whoa. <laughs> nah, I don't want to know what you were doing when you were eight. <laughs> Let's go. Let's continue. Oh, I wasn't eating at all. Oh, you mean eight years old, not eight. Like, Never mind. <laughs> this is so widely spread that there's even an urban legend about the hook, where a man with a hook menaces young lovers, waiting until they're distracted to scrape the side of their car with a hook and then kill them. Dun, dun, dun. What is this, Peter Pan? No, it's like a, it's it's, a, it's actually it's a famous urban legend. Uh, every high schooler's heard it. You know, you, you hey, you better not go out to this place here. Well, why not? Because there was an escaped convict or there's an escaped mental patient and he's got a hook for a hand. I don't think there was one like that at at my school. Oh, no shit? Yeah, I don't think there was a... uh... You kids miss out on so much shit. Oh, my God. But then again... That's that modern day thing, right? But then again, like, I only socialized with a total of two people. (laughs) Well, that's why. And plus, you never got late. So, anywho. Yeah, well, fuck you. No. no. How about that? We're going to do that? No. Yeah, because I, you're not allowed to redirect her to Tammy because I wouldn't even touch her with a stick. Oh, you're so mean to her. <laughs> That's no, a lot of kissing. Anyways, no one, uh, no one accepts this as an actual that this act is going to actually occur. But 
these men and women met their own version of the hook. Picture it. Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. I can't believe, I can't say I've been there. <laughs> you have. I probably have. The Atlanta Lovers uh, Lane murders were a series of unsolved shooting attacks um, in Atlanta, Georgia. On January from January to March of 1977, the same gun, a 38 caliber, was used in all the shootings, which suggests a single attacker. This case is uh, referred to as Atlanta's Zodiac Killer. But yeah, we see, we've been seeing that a lot. Like, you know, they compare a lot of people to the Zodiac Killer all around the world. It's like, this is Russia's version of the Zodiac Killer. And this is Germany's version of the Zodiac Killer. Look, guys, there's one fucking Zodiac Killer. Get up off your damn Zodiac Killer shit and be original. Uh, that genre of Zodiac Killer should just be called Quiz Killer or like Riddle Killer. <laughs> Zodiac Killer was a very specific person. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So and it should be more creative. Any copycats would have been a riddle killer. They place their they place riddles at their killings. See, that would be freaking awesome. They kill somebody and put you know, riddle me this, riddle me that. So you think, who's afraid of a great big bat? You know, something cool. Yeah, I knew you were going for that one. That's the only thing I remember from the Batman movies. Riddler. The Riddler. Yeah. Remember the weird jumpsuit one. Like to wear spandex suit or whatever. Oh yeah, that's fucking wild. All oh, right. but the penguin when Danny DeVito played the penguin was the best. <laughs> I love that. It's not like Danny DeVito. So anyway, I still nope. need to watch all of those. Let's continue. No suspect. I still have to finish watching freaking Venom. Yeah, you do. <laughs> no suspect has been apprehended in the forty-five years since the attacks. All right, boys and girls, children of all ages, round one. Ding, ding, ding. At around one in the morning on January 16th of 1977, an out-of-control car drove full speed into an intersection and hit a street sign. When the occupants didn't emerge from the car, witnesses called the police. Officers discovered 20-year-old LeBrian Lovett LeBrian Lovett. Uh-huh, Lovett. Okay. And 26-year-old Veronica Hill, nude and suffering from gunshot wounds. Veronica was in the back seat and had, uh, and had been hit in the left leg and the stomach. LeBrian was shot in the head, stomach, right arm, and left arm. I think we can forgive him for driving recklessly, by the way. You I got mean, that he was probably missing half his face. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're pretty messed up. Uh, I think we can forgive him for hitting the sign. <laughs> so, both were alive when the officers found them, and they were rushed to the hospital. Unfortunately, both died from their wounds. I mean... It's a lot of gun shooting going on, dude. Sitting there naked, all shot up. What do you yeah, deal? That's a bad fucking day. I can, all, I can already feel the secondhand embarrassment <laughs> just from... Oh, I'm naked. They're going to see my shitty tattoos. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have had Fred give me tattoos at his house. Doesn't even know how to draw. No, yeah, so they <laughs> they both died, right? LeBrian really did try to drive for help, okay? But his injuries proved to be too great, and he lost control of the car. The test results from the bullets revealed they came from a thirty-eight caliber gun. All right, boys and girls, children of all ages, ding, 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 round two. Let's get ready to rumble. 
<laughs> on February 12th of 1977, at about 2.45 in the morning, 18-year-old Dennis Langston and 17-year-old Dietra Tatum were at the very least necking. Like, I'm going to kiss your neck. Well, you can too. If not having full-blown sex, spank my ass, Daddy, in a parked car in West Manor Park when someone strolled up to the passenger window and fired six shots into the car. Stop fucking on my lawn. (laughs) Damn kids jerking on my lawn. One bullet hit Jerking off your lawn. Whoa. (laughs) Dig light right there. Well, we were drunk. Oh, come on. Continue. And I had peanut butter and a pit bull. Whoa. One bullet hit Dennis and the other hit Dietra. The teens were seriously injured but still alive when they were rushed to the hospital. Dennis and Dietra would both make a full recovery. Oh, well, that's good. They did get a brief glance at the shooter but could only describe a tall black male. The bullets were tested and uh, compared to those of the previous case, they were a match to those that killed LeBrian and Veronica. So we got a, a serial killer now. Well, attempted that. That's least. why he thought it's an unsolved. But yeah, that's why they're on the show, dude. Yeah. Spree killers, serial killers, and children of all ages. Whoa. So anywho, police were completely stumped with these crimes, though. There was no dis- discernible motive behind it like why the fuck's this dude doing it right the killer didn't rape anybody didn't attempt to rape or even take anything from the scene just walked up and freaking shot him clearly it's just that they're trying to fuck on his lawn (laughs) yeah this is just being a dick right i mean i could make multiple jokes about that considering it's a place you have you fuck at but no that's a good point all right ladies and gentlemen in the left corner, wearing blue trunks and a nice tan, you have Bobby the Killer Malone. And it's time for round three. Who's on the right side? Nobody's right. Everybody's wrong. Oh, well, okay. On March 12th, <laughs> 1977, after seeing a movie, 20-year-old Diane Collins and her fiancé uh, decided to end their date at Adams Park. They didn't see the gunman as he walked near their car. Well, because they were probably busy, right? Bow, down, like, bow. for reals, man. Like, I have had sex in a lot of cars, and rarely am I looking up going, hold on, let me check the scene again. Okay, let's get back to it. Okay, break you. Okay, no, we're still... No, you get in the heat of the moment, man. I mean, unless you're, like, doing it in, like, a prison yard or something. Why did I say prison? What the hell's wrong with what? I, I don't know. You know why what? I said you're pris- keeping your door closed from now on. I don't want to know what the hell you're watching. Yeah, I don't know why I said prison yard. No, be neat. Oh, I know why now. Fucking soap dropper. The I man mean, shot I- six times into the passenger side window. Diane was killed. Her fiance was hit in the head, but managed to drive home and then call for an ambulance. And believe it or not, he survived. After waiting for this ridiculous times on an ambulance i'm surprised well yeah and a reminder to our listeners cell phones weren't available to the public until 1983 he couldn't just call from wherever he was yeah to go home he went home it's etc a payphone so the investigation in late march 
In a statement to the public, police revealed the same gun was used in all three shootings. And the modus operandi, which I love saying, was the same. Therefore, they were clearly linked. During their investigation, investigators noticed a pattern in the dates. The theory was the killer was following a three-week schedule. And we see that with a lot of serial killers. They, it's, you know, they, they get a cooling down period. It's basically yeah, it's, it's it. like a, a monthly hobby of, of sorts. Some people go skiing. Some people go serial killing. There you go. Some people go shopping. Other people go shopping, quote-unquote. <laughs> The second shooting had occurred 26 days after the first, and the third occurred 28 days after the second. If so, then he should strike within six to, uh, to uh, between the sixth and the eighth of April. So, undercover cops staked out, staked out Adams Park and West Manor Park on the sixth and seventh and the eighth, and waited for their killer to strike. When nothing happened the first day, they didn't think anything of it. There was three days to choose from, and, you know, the theory was on speculation anyways. They're just saying, we just hope something happens. If nothing does happen, then we're going to be getting a pay cut. Oh, they should have, because, however, the killer didn't appear on the 7th, 8th, or, in fact, ever again. The police didn't give up on the investigation until the Atlanta child murders began. And we covered them already, I'm pretty sure. I haven't? I thought I... No, did, did, did I do a different child murderer? Oh, never mind. That just looked familiar. At least I don't think you did. No, I don't think we did an Atlanta child murders. I think the, the, I'm thinking of uh, like a borough in New York or something. Yeah. Damn child killers. And Always getting confused for each other. Well, anyways, they... <laughs> no shit, huh? And they need to focus on the child killer in Atlanta, right? In 1980, officials announced the investigation into the Lover Lane shooting was a dead end and no new leads or any suspects have been found had been found so now dateline houston texas on august 21st of 1990 22 year old cheryl henry and 21 year old andy um altkinson that's kind of a unusual name andy altkinson yeah kind of weird hmm. went on a double date with uh, cheryl's younger sister shane and her date for the evening at around 11 p.m., the two couples separated and went their own ways after leaving Club Boy- Bayou Mamas. That's what that says. God damn. Bayou Mamas. Yeah, Bayou. Bayou Mamas. Okay. Not like buying your mamas anything. When Cheryl and Henry still hadn't appeared the next morning, their families, they called the cops. The next night, possibly the night after, an abandoned white Honda Civic was found by a private security guard on Enclave Road. This is a secluded road often used as a lover's lane. The car had been turned off, but the keys were in the auxiliary position and the seats were reclined. A woman's handbag and shoes were on the floorboard. There was also fresh blood. The bum bum. <laughs> Once officers realized the car was Andy's, they brought in a scent dog. In a nearby area, they found a, uh, a golf club and three golf balls lined up in a line leading to Cheryl's body, with her hands tied behind her back in the woods about 200 yards from the car. She was face down under several planks, which had been pulled from a rotted uh, cedar fence. 
Her clothes had been cut away from her body and discarded nearby. She was raped and then her throat slashed. A cluster of deflated balloons were hanging from a nearby tree, but there was no apparent connection. A $20 bill was on the ground near her body, and I'm wondering, payment for her services rendered? (laughs) That's fucked. Darkness halted. I wonder why the balloons were Andy's body. I wonder why the balloons were there. Maybe they were just having a party and brought a stripper? It's my party and I'll cry. Well, actually, it's my party and I'll die if I want to. <laughs> Bad taste? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Bad taste. Anywho, Andy's body was found between 50 and 100 yards from Cheryl's the next morning. He was fully clothed, sitting with his back against a tree with his hands behind his back. His throat was so deeply slashed that he was almost decapitated. Jesus, that had been fueled by hate. And, get this, his money and his watch were still on him. Didn't steal anything. Definitely something hateful about it, then. Police identified several suspects, but DNA testing against uh, the evidence collected from Cheryl's body has eliminated all of them. In March 2001, investigators received an anonymous letter stating, If you want to know who killed C. Henry and A. Atkinson, it will cost you a hundred thousand dollars. Only a hundred thousand? Yeah, hey, bargain, bargain basement prices, you know, rough times. <laughs> the note told investigators to reply to a classified section uh, of the March 12th, 2001 Houston Chronicle and warned a lawyer will be hired to make sure you pay straight. Is that retarded or what? You're extorting I mean, money and you're going to hire a lawyer who has to to reveal that. I mean, it's better to have it paid straight than have it be straight as wavy. Angly. English. Yeah, that helps. Investigators yeah. followed the directions and placed the ad saying, we do want to know what you know about Henry and Atkinson and also provide a phone number where they could be reached. Unfortunately, whoever wrote the letter never contacted investigators again. The police usually received a few phone calls with uh, inconsequential leads. After the anniversary of Cheryl and Andy's death due to media coverage. But the timing of the letters was unusual as there was no coverage at the time. It's suspected that the writer never intended on contacting them a second time. At least not until they got paid, probably. Probably not at all. So, about six months later in August, the DNA profile of a rape victim did match the DNA sample from Cheryl. The victim was able to help create a sketch of the suspect. Cheryl had worked as a topless dancer at a Houston strip club. Oh, well, I guess it was services rendered. Ah. Poor hookers. Hookers and strippers, man. Always going to be targeted. It's always got to be them. I feel bad for them. They should all come to my house. Uh, no. Along with, you know, Squatch's mom. The working theory is she was murdered by a patron after she rejected his advances. Investigators only tested half the swab, preserving the other half for future testing. So, now we move on to Montana, where the men are men and the sheep are nervous. <laughs> Daddy. Harder. No, what the fuck, dude? You said daddy, so. Jesus Christ, it's gonna be one of those weeks. 
Just gotta grab those rubber <coughs> boots and Velcro gloves. Dying over here. Well, those allergy pills are kicking. So, a little bit of background. For this last case, we're going to slip back in time to 1955 in Great Falls, Montana. 16-year-old Patty, and she went by Sky, Kalitsky, was a tall, pretty, and popular junior at Great Falls High School. Ski was in love with 18-year-old Lloyd Dwayne Bogle from Waco, Texas. Lloyd Dwayne Bogle. Lloyd was an airman stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base and had come to her house for Christmas and stayed through the new year. Oh, young love. A little 16-year-old girl. <laughs> That's not right. Where the sheepskin seat cover. I'll be back in five minutes. So the victims. On January 2nd, 1956, the two went for a date at a drive-in movie and were last seen at 9 p.m. that evening. After the movie, they did want, you know, they did what typical teens do. They drove west to uh, what is now called Wadesworth Park along the Sun River, which was a popular lover's lane location. Ski's parents expected them home at a reasonable time as Lloyd was an upstanding young man and Ski had high school in the morning. When they didn't show up, her parents hoped the two had run away together and eloped. And as an airman, this would not have been a good idea on Lloyd's end, uh, you know, because desertion and all. And unfortunately, parents were wrong. Someone had attacked them as they fooled around in Lloyd's car. Their attacker bound Lloyd's hands behind his back with his own belt, forced him to kneel next to the car, and then shot him execution style in the back of the head. Lloyd's money and any valuables were left behind. The car was found with the ignition engaged, its headlights on, and the emergency brakes set. Ski was raped at least once before being forced to redress. She was also shot execution style while on her knees and died about an hour after Lloyd did. Shitty. You know, I've always said pull some hair and all that, but... Don't shoot him. I think that's a little too kinky, don't you think? Yeah, that's a bit much, right? So the next morning, three boys hiking by the Sun River found Lloyd's body. Ski's family was immersed in a living nightmare. Where was she? Was she alive? Had she been kidnapped? Or had she also been murdered? Where was their daughter? Where, you know, had she been killed? Kidnapped? You know, they just wonder what the hell's going on, right? They're freaking out. On January 4th, they got their answer. When, the, uh, when a county road worker found Ski's body seven miles north of the crime scene. Her body was at the bottom of a steep embankment along the Cascade County Highway. News journalists disclosed, though uh, she was fully clothed, but a vaginal swab was taken, even though there was no obvious signs of sexual assault. But that's how they found out she was raped, right? Yep. So let's get into a little bit of investigating. The motive of the crime is unknown. Ski's father, yeah, Ski's father created a reward uh, for any tips leading to the daughter's murderer. Contributions quickly built to more than $500, which would be about $5,315 today. 
Lloyd's body was autopsied and sent for uh, home for burial. An unnamed suspect who had recently been seen arguing with Lloyd was brought in for questioning, but released. Although the case remained unsolved, no one gave up on trying to solve it. Many persons of interest were investigated, but they were cleared. So Captain Wolverton... Oh, that's with. Give me one moment. Witherton? No space in there. Captain Wolverton with the Great Falls Sheriff's Department in the late 1980s was a former high school classmate of Skeet's. He became obsessed with finding the bullets he was sure were lodged somewhere in the cottonwood tree near where Lloyd's car was discovered. If he could find them, then he could then he was certain he could trace them to a weapon. So, you've watched Incredible Hulk and heard about the gamma rays, right? Yep. Using a gamma ray uh, using gamma ray technology they were able to locate six bullets and send them to the FBI for analysis. And then he became the Hulk. Another dead end. <laughs> Don't make me angry. End, the only dead end there was the hole that Hulk made along the way. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. David Banner is the Hulk. Da, da, da. Continue. So, however, the results of Ski's vaginal swab were well-preserved on a microscopic slide. In 2001, Cascade County Sheriff's Office Detective uh, Phil Madison sent the slide to the Montana State Crime Lab. Finally, 45 years after the murder of murders, a break came in the case. The swab contained a, uh, a sperm that wasn't Lloyd's. One single one. Ski, a single sperm. A single sperm. Ski had almost had definitely been raped, and the rapist had left some DNA evidence behind. Keep on swimming. Keep, keep on, on swimming. Swimming, swimming. <laughs> the sample was compared uh, compared that of over 35 men, including gangster James Joseph Whitney Bugler Jr. And there was no match. They couldn't find a match. I Detective Mad- Madison retired believing the murder of his classmate would the murderer of his classmate would never be brought to justice end quote a lot of different people had a turn at this and we just weren't able to take it to a conclusion now this had to have been very disheartening not only was this case someone that he knew he had worked to solve this his entire career uh, and, and but may have been part of why he became an officer in the first place. The latter is, you know, for speculation, but reasonable given the circumstances. Okay, now we have something titled A Work of Fiction. Retired Great Falls Police Detective John Cameron wrote a book in 2014 claiming that serial killer Edward Wayne Edwards, who had committed several murders similar to Lloyd's and Skies, Skies, was in fact their killer also. Of course, he also claimed Edwards had killed John Benet Ramsey and Jiffy, Jimmy Hoffa, too. Yeah, we have another one. Uh, I killed Jimmy Hoffa. So it makes me wonder if he's related to uh, to Henry Lee Lucas. Henry, what was the name again? Henry Lee Lucas. No, he, the other one, Hoffa. Oh, Jimmy Hoffa. He was a famous union leader. Jimmy Hoffa. Teamsters, okay. yeah. Which Teamsters is a union. Um, 
Yeah, so that's great. So Cameron didn't uh, didn't let the fact Edward's DNA didn't match deter him from his convictions. The Her. sample must have been bungled by the metal, medical examiner, is what he said. So, two years before Cameron wrote his wishful piece of fan fiction, Detective Sergeant John Cater was assigned to the Lover's Lane murders. Detective Cater didn't believe Cameron's theory in the slightest. Like, no, this dude's a nut job, right? Although this case was um, archaically cold, like, we're talking Arctic cold. Like, it's like dead. Th- You're not going to see anything unless you drill into it. And not even if you're a polar bear. Oh, I'm a polar bear. <laughs> he was determined to solve the case and buckle down to work. He started by digitizing digitizing the entire case file, which took several months. As he did so, he knew that the only way to solve the murders was through the silver uh, of DNA. The, the sliver. sliver. Sorry, sliver yeah. of DNA. Sorry, yeah, the that, sliver. That didn't look right. In spite of his efforts, the murders were still frozen in place. Well, that was... That is until... Cater became aware of something called forensic genealogy, which had been used to catch the Golden State Killer in 2018. Could finally match their killer even after all this time? Forensic genealogists would first develop a DNA profile of the culprit, then partner with labs and search and search public DNA databases. Most of the time, these databases are used to help those adopt or, you know, are born via in vitro, uh, who are adopted or born into in vitro fertilization to help them find their biological family members. Usually, the hit will be a second or third cousin. Investigators will then search death certificates, newspapers, clippings, and other public records to build a reverse family tree leading them to the killer. We've seen this a few times. It's Actually, ingenious. Yeah, I think. Uh, it's, yeah, with Lonnie Franklin Jr. Yeah, say I think you guys did him. one uh, last week or something about that one, right? Uh, no, that was a while ago. It was Lonnie Franklin Jr. Months ago. Oh, yeah. In 2019, Cater sent the rapist DNA to Bow Technology. Researchers there were successfully able to backtrace the killer from a cousin's profile. Kenneth Gould. Kenneth was born and raised in Great Falls and had lived there his entire life uh, with his wife and kids only. A little more than a mile away from Skye. He had no criminal record and had never been interviewed. He also had no uh, known connection to either Lloyd or Skye or their families. He was 29 at the time of the murders. And then we run into a complication. Of course. Plot twist, he was actually 30. (laughs) You're retarded. I'm not retarded. (laughs) I'm just mentally stupid. (laughs) Mentally gay. Investigators finally knew who their killer was. There was just one problem. You ready for it? Anybody want to guess? He was dead. Kenneth died May 31st of 2007. To give Lloyd and Sky's family some sense of closure, Kinder had to do an extremely awkward thing. Confront his children. Uh-oh. As he said, quote, I wasn't sure how they were going to react when I came to them saying, hey, 
your dad's a suspect in this case, but there were great, uh, but they were great to work with. Sixty years later, after their deaths, Patty, which is Sky, uh, Kalitsky, and Lloyd Bogles finally got a little justice. This may be the oldest case ever solved with forensic gene- genealogy. Cater was able to reach out and deliver the news to their surviving family members. Describing their response, he said, quote, They're excited, but at the same time, it brought up a lot of memories. Sheriff Jesse Slaughter, which that is an awesome name. Jeffy Slaughter? Jesse. Jesse Slaughter. That is a rock star name. There was actually a rock band in the 80s called Slaughter. They were pretty good. Jesse, a part of the Slaughter band. Says uh, it is, quote, our duty to make sure that we solve these cases. The amount of time between the murders and their resolution doesn't matter. So my final thoughts. Not necessarily my my researchers. Somebody's final thoughts. We don't, <laughs> Somebody's. We don't know who. It could be Chuck. I don't know. It could be. We don't know. I included these uh, this final case only... Uh, I included this final case because not only was it interesting in both the crimes, but in the length of uh, determination law enforcement was willing to go to to solve it. For almost 65 years, it was a whodunit. The killer went to his grave thinking he had gotten away with murder. And technically, he did. And technically, he he did. He died. He died. He got away with it. He just only got found out like... 10 years later. Well, we got to give kudos to both the Great Falls Police Department uh, for not giving up on a glacier cold case and to Kenneth Gould's children for being open to be, uh, you know, uncomfortable to the uncomfortable idea that their father may have been a murderer and a rapist. This case provides hope that other cold cases may someday be solved. <laughs> yeah, I got all quiet and shit. All right, let's wrap this one up so we can get shit done. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blog, just type in at TwistedBlue, and we should pop right up. Get the full story without half of my bullshit. And remember, we have a YouTube channel open. I was just going to mention, we do have a YouTube channel, so search out Brutal Nation. Look for our special logo, the little slideshow, which, how did you put that before? It's uh, it, it's contextually based. Yeah. Uh, every photo comes up, depending on uh, what time frame and all that, what we're talking about. Correct. correct. Of course, the logo is made by your one and only, me. This is true. He's our logo maker. He's a logo man, and he don't logo nobody but you. I don't understand that one, but then again, I lived under a rock for 10 years. All right. This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And we will see you guys manana. Bye-bye. Have a good night.